Ladies and gentlemen of 2022, welcome back to Terminus, the uh, 13 Reasons Why of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. if the kitties aren't happy, daddy's not happy. <laughs> and I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. apprentice goat fornicator. <laughs> a couple years of that you'll be up to journey man <laughs> exactly eventually they give you a license <laughs> you, you have to you have to do a demonstration <laughs> you know it's a uh, you know it's it's less about your performance and more about how you stand up to the pressure <laughs> <laughs> fuck oh 2022 we're doing this shit again huh we're doing this another year god damn I was hoping that everyone would forget about this, but the Discord's still been hopping with people talking about it, so I guess in for a penny, in for a pound on this bullshit. You know, I looked, I had, I, in, 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 uh, humorless earnestness, I actually looked up, I like for some reason, count, you know, not very intuitive interface meant I had never really looked at our subscriber count over time. Mm-hmm. On YouTube, we are we've got something like um, 150 percent growth since this time last year. Oh yeah, no, I mean it takes, it's, dude. The that's how the metal scene works now. You you get absolutely no attention for like five years minimum, and then people start to give a shit about you. So around, you know, 2025, that's going to be our time to shine, bro. No, if we keep growing at that rate, it could we we could be uh, if there are enough people who are really autistic about underground black metal we could uh we could be making a business out of this yeah terminus llc you know yeah. i am i am 51 percent owner just <laughs> <laughs> so uh well teacher asks uh black metal guy what did you do over your christmas vacation oh your excuse me your yule vacation so. ah thank you i was about to uh uh, I was about to report you to the principal. Um, <laughs> to, the, to the diversity <laughs> initiative. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, um, man, man, funny story. I actually tried to, uh, I, I actually tried to play the I'm a pagan card to get a religious exemption from, uh, injection number three. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it, Surprise, surprise, turns out paganism isn't a real religion. Oh, got your ass. <laughs> I'm a victim of, I'm a victim of, uh, you know, uh, monotheist discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the patriarchy is coming down yeah, on me, yeah, bro. I'm a victim of a Abrahamic privilege. Um, <laughs> I like that. I like yeah. Abrahamic privilege. That's going to be the name of my, my Christian beatdown band. <laughs> we're gonna do a split uh, with gideon pretty soon <laughs> the um so what did i do over break i had uh like a lot of work <laughs> uh you know you know hung out hung out with the family and the girlfriend and a, a, a lot of work did i do anything particularly metal oh yeah i had um i, I had an awesome new year's bonfire with our boy uh Kveldolf in the discord um so, uh, he, we, uh, just, you know, it was, uh, pretty cold on New Year's Eve and we just went up, went up in the woods and had a bonfire. Listen to some Oldowan Gash, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's always good. 
That's probably the appropriate mm-hmm. setting is like chilling with the boys, but in a primitivist way, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you did you guys say skull when you toasted? Maybe. <laughs> you, you can't admit to it, but it, okay. That's it's like it's like when the FBI say they can't answer that question. It always means it's a yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, so what about you? What do you do over your? Fuck. Your, your, I, over your Christmas break. Ah, thank you for for acknowledging the true master of creation. Um, uh, honestly, it was uh, it was pretty quiet. Um, did we did we cut out before or after Christmas? After Christmas, I saw some of my wife's family, um, and then apart from that, it the, like you, it's been a shit ton of work. And a lot of not listening to metal, frankly, just kind of like clearing the ears for the year of podcasting to follow. And uh, just really, really playing a shit ton of different Resident Evil games. I would say that was probably the most valuable time that I spent. So, uh, I've <laughs> oh, I played... What? Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know what's the best Resident Evil game. Oh, God, that would be a podcast episode in and of itself. I would have to create a PowerPoint and everything. Um, (laughs) Honestly, it's a series that's been through so many different eras and so many different styles, you can't really give one definitive answer. How does it stack up against the arcade House of the Dead? (laughs) (laughs) Substantially better, I can give you that. (laughs) Phew. No, I was uh, doing uh, various runs of the remakes of two and three to uh, you know up my uh, up my trophies on PlayStation. So there's that. Uh, as far as metal things that I did, uh, about the only metal thing I did was get COVID and then miss playing a show that I was really excited to play in Mississippi. So that was oh, yeah, great. That sucks. That sucked, man. Uh... Well, having COVID sucked for that too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, me and basically everybody I know got it all within like a two-week period and this includes people that i had not hung out with recently um so just a big wave hit my city all at the same time everybody was laid up for like a week and uh uh the thing they don't tell you about the omicron strain is it makes your bones hurt which is perhaps the most metal symptom of a disease possible Yeah, no. When you when you told me that, I was pretty concerned. But it sounds like it only lasted for a day. The worst of the the worst of the bone infliction. Oh yeah, the the bone hurting juice. I only sipped on that for a day, day and a half, and then it was just kind of flu stuff from there. But that was definitely because the problem was like I had realized I had it on the day I was supposed to leave for that mm-hmm. like out of state festival. Um, so you got to imagine the unhappiness of that combined with slowly my bones start to hurt through the rest of the day. It was it was definitely getting it was definitely getting 2022 off on the wrong foot. I would say. You, 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 you got it over with. Now you've just got to get the eight next variants. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was uh, talking to my wife about it because my wife inevitably got it too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about, do you think there's going to come a point where as the variants stack up, people are going to start... Um, collecting antibodies like Pokemon cards. Like right now, do I need to get Delta to get the complete set? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, are we going to start trading stories about having COVID? Because I've had Mainline and I've had Omicron now. I just, 
I gotta get me some Delta. So if there's any any listeners out there who have a COVID Delta variant, want to take a trip down to see me so I can I can complete the set, please let me know. <laughs> Modular detachable spike protein can be modified into a plasma cannon. Hey all, this is Brandon from Cromlight, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, so uh, as you guys know, last year, around uh, two-thirds of the year through, we sort of slowed the pace down on Terminus a little bit, just like to try and save our sanity and started uh, going a a little bit softer with a number of albums. But this time, we're almost going back to the old ways. We've got three full reviews for you just to kind of celebrate the new year and, and Terminus actually keeping going as podcasts are not supposed to do. But before we get to all that and all the content that you want, well, you got to follow us on social media. You can follow me, the death metal guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast or the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And then if you're particularly dedicated, uh, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. Uh, $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes. Uh, Any new listeners you might have seen in the break, a couple of those came out as uh, public releases, so you can see the kind of content we're doing back there. Uh, $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Discord server, uh, our private server, where we have protracted drunken VC sessions uh, at uh, weird hours of the day because we're spread across the world. And uh, $10 and up gets you access to the, uh, (laughs) God, what is it it even called? The Terminus Crucible, where you can vote on the uh, next bonus episode to come out based on a uh, a list of uh, curated records that we're interested in talking about. And the uh, next one of those is going to be coming out pretty soon, uh, but it is a a bear of a thing to cover. And uh, all the people who are subscribed know what that's going to be. But... Uh, surprisingly for our first record of the evening the black metal guy brought this to my attention which is hilarious because of the two people here I'm the one that should have known that it was coming out so black metal guy take it away what have we got to start we got uh, the Serpent Noir and Sargeist split called uh, I presume in in honor of liturgy transcendental black magic Um, (laughs) I thought about that when I first saw the title transcendental black magic shit (laughs) yeah yeah and this is out on a world terror committee of course and um Sargeist is yeah it's one it's one of your favorites it's been and he's you know and we both really like let the devil in and Sargeist has been kind of in a fallow period for a while so I was thought let's check this one out yeah, so I mean, yeah, it it, it does. Uh, it probably bears repeating, uh, although you've said it before that you do legitimately like Sargeist. You just have qualms about the results of Sargeist and let the devil in in particular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, Sargeist is Sargeist is you know like cool. Yeah, you know, but yeah. Um. But now we got a uh, so we've got this split with Serpent War, and I, I do agree. Yeah, Sargeist has been through kind of a fallow period so like we were saying so let the devil in was released in 2010 and that went off like a nuke and it is still even a couple sargeist records later still kind of the paradigm of the band and has become i would say as a record has become a one of the major paradigms of black metal today um 
people talk about Sargeist as a whole as being extremely influential, but I'd really pinpoint it to that it's, record it's in particular. It's that album. Yes. It's that yes. album. If you go back to Satanic Black Devotion, that's a cool record, but you can literally say this riff is lifted from this riff by Gorgoroth, this riff is lifted from this riff by Seigneur Valand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's more of like a raw BM stylistic exercise, like a tribute to heroes. I don't know. How, how's Disciple of the Heinous Path? I don't That's know. where they start to pick it up more. I, I really like Satanic Black Devotion, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is just a tribute record to all of their favorite bands. Yeah. Disciple of the Heinous Path starts to congeal more into a distinct mm-hmm. idea of what they want to accomplish. That's where, you know, the the traces of it just, I mean, it's Shoutrog on guitar. So, I mean, even from the earliest stuff, because you can still get um, reissues of the Tyranny Returns demo. Which is you might like a lot because that's kind of nasty, you know. That's mm-hmm. it, that's like Bathory Stomp version of Sargeist. Hmm. So it's probably your favorite Sargeist record by default. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Disciple is where they start to kind of get it together, and then Let the Devil In is where everything comes into full bloom. And I mean, it's it's still a masterpiece. I still listen well, to it every few weeks. I was thinking something about that in terms of like defining the more polished black metal sound these days, you know, the more polished hook driven black metal, right? Uh, the only other band that's had that kind of impact is Migla. And the, as you, you were saying a while ago, you think Migla, in terms of influence, Migla's star has kind of set. Um, whereas Sargeist's influence has never been stronger. Well, I don't. I don't think. I don't think McGlaw's star has set in terms of influence. I think that their most influential work is done, mm-hmm. um, which is not. To, I think they're going to continue to make great music, but I don't think it's going to have an outsized influence. Uh, I, th- I think that most of. Oh, oh no! I they're obviously great. Yeah, I like the last record a lot. But I I think the the most. Im- important things or at least the most significant things that they've imparted onto the black metal scene were done with uh with hearts toward none and exercises in futility which is okay i mean if you can get two massively influential records out mm-hmm. you're you're set as an artist you've accomplished everything but, you could ask for um, but in terms of like being influential everywhere migla's the the, the band the only bands that sound like migla exist in the floating world of you know stuff that has nothing to do with the underground right that's true i mean they've migla's had an influence in a broader sense felt in more ways in different places but like in terms of bands that are directly influenced by like sargeist is doing really well and doing really well across the spectrum from like the fluffiest you know the the sort of fluffiest disposable website black metal to uh stuff in the you know, people uh, getting their go to war X vinyls flipped. Yeah, right? yeah that's um, true. I, yeah, no, Sargeist has it. McGlaw has been more broadly influential uh, across metal and kind of like outside of metal as well. Sargeist has yeah. been more intensely influential within black metal itself. And, and I, mean, I suppose also just like within Finland. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, which is, I mean, that's a whole conversation in and of itself is, you know, where does this riffing style come from? You know, because um, there's there's a lot of different things. I mean, and that's something we're probably going to be talking about across this whole episode. This is a Finnish episode we have. Yes, this is a fin another Finnish dedicated episode. Yeah, ah. 
with a, a uh, lot of interesting a lot of interesting parallels between all the records actually yeah but before we get too into the weeds because that's the second half of the split let's start by talking about serpent noir's side now this is a band that i was not familiar with at all until i listened to this split were you familiar with these guys no I mean, you could you could riff on it a little bit. Black metal guy, <laughs> Jesus Christ, leave, leave me hanging. It's, it's fucking, the, the principle of improv is yes and, you know. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, so Serpent Noir, for those who aren't familiar, are a black metal band from Greece who apparently have been around for a while. Uh, looks like they formed in 2006. First EP was in 2010, and they've had a few fallings out. But for some reason... I mean, I've probably seen the name around, but I hadn't really seen people actively talking about this band. Um, but after hearing the split, I really want to check out some of their older material because I think it's really interesting. Um, what was uh, your general impression of their stuff? Um, well, back when we were thinking of doing just like a quick sampler piece on the split, uh, like before we decided to do a full review, I just listened to the first Serpent Noir track and I was like, yeah, this is pretty, pretty damn good. Uh, Throne of Satanas. Um, the rest of it, uh, yeah, and that one is interesting. The rest of it, honestly, I like listened to it tonight, and I like hated it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, now I'm now I'm really curious because this seems to Serpent Noir seems to embody a lot of the things that you enjoy about Greek black metal. So we'll we'll have to get into what what you think makes it worse than the rest of it, and mm. what I really enjoy about it. Because I actually, I ended up really enjoying the Serpent Noir side. Yeah, alright. Well, let's listen to the first half. I, You know, it's funny. I didn't even know they were from, I think I assumed they were from Finland. I, I don't hear it as sounding like Greek black metal at all, except hmm. now that now that you mention it, maybe the first track. Okay. Well, yeah. In that case, yeah. let's listen to uh, let's listen to Throne of Satanas, and uh, we'll go from there. Stay the my grip. 
it's greek black metal i can really hear it on that song i think it's pretty distinct through this side of the split i mean we talked about it a little bit i don't know if it was last year or in the first year we were doing the show but the idea that you know the defining characteristic of greek black metal is a tighter than usual connection to like heavy metal and certain kinds of rock music um and i think that permeates this whole side of the split Oh, for sure. It's very heavy metal and rock music, yeah. Um, this track, though, I mean, I think I like it better because it, it's, you know, the thing I really like about, uh, you know, I'm not even sure I could say I, like, like Greek BM in general. Like, Varathron has never done much for me. Mm-hmm. I just really like the first three Rotting Christ records, and obviously, like, Macabre Omen. Um, yeah, yeah, I get you. But the thing, the thing it does that here... When I heard this track, I thought, this is weird. This is like a band trying to make black metal from, like, thrash and goth. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked that. Uh, and that's kind of like what Ackercock does um, with with some more death metal in there. But, like, uh, and I, I liked the kind of, um, maybe also reminded me of Armored Angel a little bit. In terms of, like, using mutes in this kind of, like... Uh, using chug not that it really sounds like an armored angel song but at all it's not that heavy but like using ch- mystical chug links <laughs> it to like mystical chug links it to armored angel and rotting christ but this band plays the chugs with a lot of inflection it's like they're really a uh, a staccato thing it's very loose um, it's very loose on the right hand it's it's loose on the right hand it's sort of like it's being used to like crisply demark things rather than to be heavy and that's interesting. It's, it sounds kind of like Killing Joke Chug, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of finesse in that. So that's that's kind of cool. And, you know, the blasting part. Okay, again, I can kind of hear the link to something like Rotting Christ now. Because, you know, they're chugging during the blast. And they have this sort of, like, eighth note, heavy eighth note blasting. That makes sense. And then the chorus is really good there. You know, it just sort of, like, blossoms out of the rest of it. And it is, uh, it's got a complete... Uh, complete motion, complete chord motion. Like there's a really cool, uh, you know. So the chorus has a cool, fully fleshed out progression. Which I yeah. Like. Um, well, I think that's one of the things that intrigued me about this side of the split was the idea. A lot of these songs are sculpted in such a way they're they're almost like trad metal songs in that they have kind of bookending parts and then tend to be dominated in the middle by kind of an extended instrumental section mm-hmm. that's usually governed by the lead guitar, um, mm-hmm. which is something I'm more receptive to lately. It's like if you're if you're going to do this sort of like extreme metal meets heavy metal and rock stuff, okay, I accept the idea of the paradigm of the song being based on a certain kind of epic rock music. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think the meat of these songs really lives in those middle passages, basically like the one that you sampled, uh, mm-hmm. that's based off this intricate kind of winding narrative lead guitar stuff. And that's a, that's a really good example of it that you pulled there. It's just yours has one of the only moments of real black metal aggression across the entire side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so, do you, do you want to get to your sample and then I'll complain, or should I start complaining? <laughs> I'll get to my sample. Well, yeah, now I'm interested. So, after you hear mine, mm-hmm. if if it still bears complaining. Because uh, this sample, to me, this is off of uh, Epiclesis to Eosforu. You know, I don't fucking know how to pronounce ancient Greek, whatever. Or regular Greek, or any kind of Greek. Um This sample is, again, from the middle of the track during a kind of protracted instrumental section, guided by the lead guitar again. I just think that the way these guys arrange these kind of elaborate instrumental sections is really interesting. Uh, It's not really riffy in a traditional way, but it's not, you know, totally empty jam band stuff either. It's, uh, It's focused, it's narrative, and I just think it's really interesting. So let's, uh, let's listen to this. I think something that I'm especially interested in lately is more elaborate than usual guitar arrangement. Um, I'm, you know, my my interest in kind of technical stuff waxes and wanes, and right now it's it's waxing. Um, so I really like the idea that this motif of that arpeggiated riff is introduced up front, and then the rest of the passage is really them teasing different dimensions out of that idea. Uh, That forms the base of all these individual kind of micro riffs that emerge in that following passage. Um, 
but the prominence of it will rise and fall against the lead guitar based on its motions. Um, you know, a lot of the phrases within that long winding lead are based off of that arpeggiated motif, but then it'll it'll duck into different, more elaborate ideas before coming back to the center against all these rhythmic ideas that are happening underneath. And uh, I just think it's really interesting songwriting. It has the effect of, you know, kind of heavy metal dueling guitar solos, but with a lot more texture and subtlety applied to it. So I just, um, I, I can't say that it's, you know, particularly metal in a sense, but I think it's really good arrangement. And uh, I think it's cool to listen to in this kind of style. Well, you know, the way they pull the tandem guitars back together with the tandem thing at the end, and that kind of like, there are a couple little nimble turns that they do when they're setting it back up into that palm mute part. There is some like good musicianship here for sure, and some non-metal subtlety. Um, but, uh, you know, you could call them micro riffs, or you could call it noodling. Hmm, fair enough. Um, and to me, it seems, I, I guess the biggest problem with this to me is that I like the scales it's written in the chord, the, the, it doesn't, it's not as obvious on the first track, uh, with, but then on these, every, the, the, the three tracks after that, um, uh, especially clear on the ones you didn't sample, Endless Night of Lilith and, uh, Damon Behind the Bars, but on this one too, um, they're like Latin jazz scales. Yeah, I think that's. And, I think that it's more just like sides of Mediterranean music we don't typically hear in metal. I'm, I'm now that yeah, I know they're from Greece. That could be, but point being, scales like this simply aren't. Um, not only are they not. Like maybe if I heard someone doing a Greek street ballad on acoustic guitar in this kind of mournful sort of uh, not really mournful in this kind of like conventionalized minor key, um, maybe it would have more of an impact. Um, uh, but as it is, it sounds like the kind of flattened, um, not flattened. It sounds. Well, it sounds it sounds like Latin jazz. The the chord progressions like minor one, minor four, and stuff. It's very like Latin jazz, uh, and it is and it has the same kind of vamping that you would get in a jamming jazz combo or in a you know classic rock band. Um, and I'm thinking in particular Santana and like not cool Abraxas Santana. I'm getting Santana feet Rob Thomas vibes from this. <laughs> You've like, used that exact description yes. for something in the past. I know that. Yes. And I think it's more justified here, whatever that was. Like, this is, like, over any part of this record, you can, or of this this half, especially these three songs, you can go like, that's so smooth. Um, and, like, you know, so the the note, to me, like, the, the, the just the, the scale, the chords and the scales used really just suggest, um, it has this kind of like slinky sensuousness to it that is not um that's like a very conventionalized pop thing and it also evokes you know james bond movies like spy movies or whatever uh and, <laughs> and and also that sort of corny idea of cool from back then um the there are bands that plug into somewhat similar places in a much more convincing way. So I'm reminded of Montolm, who you mm -hmm. brought on the show last year. 
I didn't love that record, but mostly because of the sterile production. Montone yeah. does incorporates Latin stuff in a much more powerful way that seems closer to flamenco. Um, uh, and also, you know, in terms of like spy e soundtrack, you know, sort of like like slinky rock and roll spy stuff. Uh, Morte Incandescente, where they even yeah, yeah. secret. You pointed out the secret agent man riff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so this, I mean, maybe there's a thing where that's starting to become more more of, of a viable option now. But this take on it reminds me of the things I like least about it. It's just the way that, like, you know, you know, I think when I, you know, like, you know, when I was younger, you know, I like like played jazz in jazz band and shit you know like a fucking nerd right and that was like before i had really discovered i listened to some punk then but was just getting into it It it's like before i discovered metal right and like um you know i've always liked minor scales and so like i was like kind of you know i preferred songs like that or whatever right and then once I, you know, once you just hear the ideas of minor scale, the, the the sort of stuff, once you hear Joy Division or, you know, fucking uh, Slayer, right, that shit goes out the window. Um, <laughs> I, I, I get what you're talking about. I guess ultimately the difference here is probably a matter of, like, I've got more time for certain kinds of more flourishing guitar music than you do. Um, I, I, I probably grew up listening to more kind of classic rock and kind of AOR stuff than you did as a kid. So I think this this probably touches on stuff that I have a more lingering interest yeah. in than you do. I, I really liked the Santana record, the Santana Rob Thomas record when I was like 11. The problem was that like <laughs> it was just... The, it was just one of the first kinds of things I heard with cool minor scales in them. Uh, and it, it's, uh, um, so, so yeah, but no, exactly. It's a, you know, it's a case of you being a long hair, right? It's just like, I hate, <laughs> I, I, I mean, always, I just always love that description because I have less hair. Than yes, you. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just, I, I like, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I like, for me, classic rock is a dirty word. I, I, I listen you know, to rush and, unironically. Yeah. Yeah, to me, like the anything that's good in classic rock to me is good by virtue of its being close to something else. Whether it's like certain Rush songs are kind of metal, certain, you know, uh, some are, you know, maybe some classic rock is kind of like a heavy, you know, again, yeah, classic rock that sounds kind of like metal in some way I can get down with, right? We both like George Thorogood. Mm hmm, yeah. You know, um, uh, ZZ Top and whatnot. But like, uh, yeah, I just, it's too classic rock for me. And in that sense, it doesn't really get at the things I like about Hellenic BM, which is really about this combination of, like, glorious Dorian scale melody meets, like, retarded charging thrash attack. <laughs> you know, like, the, the the whole thing I like is... So, so it's all about ultimately like all things it's about its proximity to hate forest <laughs> kind of yeah 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 <laughs> all right okay so second half sargeist um i'm i'm interested in your take 
just because I'm the I'm the obsessive that constantly talks about Sargeist, but we have basically the same exposure to the band. Uh, so what did you I, think? I think of- I may have actually heard Let the Devil In before you. Y- yeah, you probably heard Let the Devil In before me, and I had. But I was listening to the first couple, like, really young, back in high school. So I, I don't know. But, yeah, you probably heard that record itself before I did. Well, yeah. Well, it's so, yeah, we both, you know, that was the record. I think listening to that, um, I mean, that was the record that got me into that whole franco finish style of guitar. I was listening to that at about the same time as, you know, like the... Consumatum Est or whichever Senior Falande comp it was mm-hmm. um, and uh, that I can't remember which one led me to the other but um, it it was uh, yeah and that would have been in like 20, 2011 maybe early 2011 mm-hmm. right when I start right when we got in touch first oh yeah yeah um, but yeah like I mean so I, I liked that record a lot you know the shit that is, they've put out since then, I think we've both found disappointed. Feeding the Crawling Shadows is just not good, right? That's like Let the Devil In, but not outtakes. F- feeding then, is... Well, actually, you see, I feel like Feeding was like a conscious attempt to get away from Let the Devil In. Feeding feeding is absolutely, like, without question, the weakest Sargeist record. Mm-hmm. But I, but I kind of want to go back j- to it just because it's like... I mean, coming off the heels of Let the Devil In... Can you imagine the fucking pressure? (laughs) Well, Unbound interested me at first because I liked, oh, okay, they're like, you know, by that point, I, you know, I, you could, in 2018, you could already hear the excess, you could, you could already hear the, uh, negative influence of Let the Devil In on imitators, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's cool. They wrote that one really banging sort of pop oriented album and now they're doing a, they're using more sort of classic Norse and Bathory black metal riff forms in addition to some of the classic Sargeist riffs. And I think they came up with some good individual songs or like some interesting kind of ideas. Like, uh, which one do I... I like can remember one of these songs. Hunting Eyes is pretty cool. Um, but, uh, but there was also something unsatisfying about it because on the other hand, like... You just want it to scratch that particular Sargust itch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, it's like hearing them do that kind of like... It's it's strange because you figure out like... It's like, wow, in some sense I'm abstractly... Like, abstractly I approve more of them doing this, right? Having more of those sort of more dissonant or nasty riffs. Having, having some variation and range in the sound. Um, on the other hand... They're just I so really goddamn good they, at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really liked when they did the other thing. So it's a case of like a band, you know, how as a band you tack between acknowledging the limitations of the, the, the kind of thing you're doing and knowing what you do well. And when I put this on, I was not, you know, I was not really expecting much, but pretty much from the first riff, from the first riff I was like, oh, this is different. And I think it's because even just from the first riff, you can tell that they are integrating the Sargeist riffs much more completely with that fuller idea of black metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. This sounds to me like um, after Let the Devil In, they struggled for a while figuring out what to do 
you know, wanting to try to be more aggressive, almost in response to the things people took away from Let the Devil In. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now this is kind of the sound of them getting comfortable with that album again, but then incorporating kind of all the lessons learned in the 10 years since. You can hear that he've they've thought about that. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. This is a this is a very consciously written set of songs. Um like uh, it, it's weird to say it's weird to think of Sargeist under the terms of something like oh abandoned dialogue with itself but they kind no, of are you know well, yeah well it's it's you know because Shatrug is a consummate craftsman right I mean he's and you know Sar Arlo Sargeist is the most popular thing he's done it is also for him a deliberately narrow exercise in a certain aesthetic that is in some way less ambitious than Horna. Yeah, it was it was right. always um, supposed to be a side project, but it ended up metastasizing and sort of, you know, consuming his career in a way. Yeah, so like, so you can, and so yeah, the fact that they tried to get away from that sound only speaks well of them, and it makes sense that it wasn't going to quite land the first time. It was, the other thing that he's been negotiating is like, how do I how do I get out of the let the devil in trap? Well, I let's turn this into a full band, and so by the time you get unbound, I think you may even get some other hands in the writing to some mm -hmm. degree. Yeah. Um, and so thinking rethinking Sargeist as a full band is another thing that has to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, and at so at this point, how do you return to the just consistency of that let the devil in just the, the this sort of consistent just fist raised banger thing while also doing something else well one thing you can do uh is work keep some of the same kinds of riffs that everyone finds appealing but really change the structures mm -hmm. so this song god of the darkest dawn very carefully structured not remotely a sort of verse chorus structure that is the sort of you know uh um the key to the you know some of the highs and lows of let the devil in right and and of a lot of the finished style in general mm -hmm. right uh this is not a verse chorus song it's embracing traditional black metal song structure in a way that let the devil in didn't um and yet it is also in some ways more simple uh this is yeah so let's start and it's eight minutes long which is very long for Sargeist yes so this is a um, so let's let's just this song starts we're starting right after the first AB sequence so we hear riff A riff B and then we are diving in on riff A second repetition
Oh, dude, that's that's an easy top five Sargeist song, instantly. Yeah, you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. As someone that's poured over, not just, like, the main records, but a bunch of the splits, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's... I'm surprised that they used that on a split, because that, like, that's the kind of track that would carry a record. Bodes well for the album. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm fucking stoked. <laughs> I wrote that in the notes. I am yeah. really stoked so, to hear the next full length now. So, let's talk about the structure there before we... So, um... Basically, in that first riff sequence, right? What I loved about that, that start track opens on that. Really dense, kind of grim, you know. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Thick, thick chords. Um, and uh, it it's not a quote sargized riff, right? It's way more in dialogue with you know, like. Kvist and Nidden and all this just nastier kinds of densely corded black metal from Scandinavia. From yeah, like just Norway and Sweden. Old, old, tra- traditional but still slightly marginal styles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could be it could be a Horner riff, TBH. That's um, true. Yeah, it could be. But um but like the thing that you can hear in this that you might not in Horna is like again, well the last Horna record was really densely textured, so never mind. It's kind of a Horna riff, but it's got this like, it's not, um, and so they, they come in on that, and I'm instantly like, oh that's interesting, uh, but but then it um, but it's already it's got that flowing thing that is very sargeist. Mm-hmm, that that it, kind of it, primary element being water for this yes. band. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then it lits into that second one. Uh, and that second one is um, just very, very simple riff in some ways. But um, it's it, it's kind of like the riff to Sola Fide on SMRC, mm-hmm. the Death Bell Omega song. But it's like a stripped-down, sargified one. Um, <laughs> sargified, yeah. Yeah. And, and so they run through that sequence... And then right where we pick up, they drop into the second repetition of the first one. And then we go back to that that second sort of payoff riff, and they run through a quarter of it. Yeah, that tease is incredible. Normally they do two reps of the fully elaborated riff that ends on the da-da-da-da, you know, um... And, uh, yes, they, they just do this one little tease, basically as the turnaround on the grinding riff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're back to the grinding riff. And then finally it takes us, they run through some reps, and they take us back to the third iteration of the, the you know, glorious riff. And that is, it's a really long sequence. Yeah. Um, there is absolutely no attempt to do anything else. They're just hanging out on those two riffs, each of which they play three times. And that's like a dark throne way of structuring a song, or a, you know, like a hate forest way of structuring a song that is very capital B, capital M, black metal, and quite different from sort of punchy song-based stuff. Well, it's um, it's interesting just to see what happens to Sargeist when you just expand the palette a little bit it's just like Mm -hmm. instead of five minutes you have eight to work with what happens um and a lot of it is the same stuff but then you know just because they have such you know intelligent songwriting minds even if there's not necessarily more riffs than on one of the five minute songs the way they manipulate those riffs and chop them up and rearrange Mm -hmm. them creates something with like 
that's more than the sum of its parts. It has greater depth as a song, even if the constituent parts are the same as they would be on the five-minute version. Yeah, so that that ties in nicely with what I was going to say, which is like, even let's just even talk about that A-B sequence as more than the sum of its parts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if anything, the first riff is kind of more sophisticated in some ways than the second one. Although the second one has this lovely harmonization. He's just a master of changing the bass notes in the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, uh, But they talk to each other. They're not, it's, you're hearing it wrong if you hear riff A as the verse riff with the chorus riff following it. And you can tell that's the wrong way of listening to it because nobody repeats the verse three, nobody just oscillates between verse and chorus three times in a row, Yeah. right? Unless, unless you're a second rate DB band, right? <laughs> it's, um, but even those, the, the, and I say second rate because the best DB bands know that that second riff just isn't a chorus. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a, right. Um, but um, so they're they're they go together, and the second one does have this payoff or release thing. It just it has sort of tension releasing. There's a shift in tonality that's powerful there, right? It, it you know we get those glorious consonant Dorian scales, but um, they're basically part of the same riff. Yeah. It's like the 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 it's not that there are these two riffs. It's one sequence that has, like, four reps of one melodic idea and two of the next. Um, And they... uh, Well, the contrast is what gives them their individual power. Yes, and also the way that, like... I think there's a subtlety with rhythm on this record that, correct me if I'm wrong, but was not on Let the Devil In. I mean, possibly, yeah. You You could hear Let the Devil In tending towards... The thing that he did there really well, right, is he has this Baroque music, right, highly influenced by Baroque music, and that sense of, like, processional geometric alignment, right? Like, on a riff to Empire of Suffering, just like, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, mm-hmm. two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And they, because he I plays, mean, they pioneered the grid-written riff. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it doesn't, for the most part on that record, it doesn't sound grid-written because, he, because the melodies have this internal drive to them and because he has this incredible legato power on the guitar mm-hmm. right um it doesn't it's not static and dead right and then when bands start ripping that off you get the grid written franco finish standard black metal song right um this record these both of these riffs um especially the first one plays against that geometry the first one is like it's a pulse riff. It depends on these like little fluctuations. And now I'm hearing on my headphones, there's really good play with the two channels. They're moving out of phase. The mm-hmm. riffs, they're slightly different riffs being played in each channel. And it just has to do with where the pulse emphases are being placed. And when the second riff, when we light into B, um, the the timing on when the first note hits is different subtly from the timing on every subsequent repetition of that phrase in the riff it's like it it strikes like the riff comes in it's like the riff drops in in the middle of itself or something like it like the default i don't know what i'm trying to say it's like there's a it's like the riff would normally have a pickup but instead it drops directly into the riff and then keeps does that make any sense 
I kind of get what you mean, yeah. I guess what I really mean is that it's very... The second riff seems like a grid-written riff, right? And at the end, it even does that sort of like, you know, like only guy who could ever get away with literally ending the riff by going da 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 in a row, right? But it it, it does, and it sounds awesome, right? Um, so it's got that basic form, but there's a lot of rhythmic subtlety within it, um, just the, in in the inflection of the plane. And there's a really cool rhythmic effect that happens from the pulsing riff uh, spilling seamlessly. Like, there should be a seam between the obscure pulsing riff and this sort of grandiose, you know, grandiose rolling eighth notes riff, right? There's not. Like, there's not a seam between them, and that's, like, the mystery and coolness of it. And it's, like, the pulses in the first one interact with the rhythms in the second. Anyway, yeah. I'll put the bong down. <laughs> it's been a while, folks. He needed to start getting the shit out of his system. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I got it. No, I, I, I agree with that. I, like yeah. I just took a really good shit. No, I, yeah, I, I, so. I, agree, I agree with everything you said. You know, I mean, the, the whole mastery of... Sargeist, and you know the reason they get away with the things they get away with is because Shaotrog invented this style. You know, I mean, between Shaotrog and uh, you know the guys in Senior Valon, they basically developed this riffing style from the ground up, and with that comes an internal knowledge of how to execute it that you can't really imitate. You can imitate parts of it, but you're never going to be able to handle the whole thing. Um, so. God of the Darkest Dawn, easy top five Sargai song. Uh, second one, Spirit Knocks Famuli, very good, more sprawling, a little bit more gnarly, getting back toward, you know, kind of Disciple of the Heinous Path type territory, um, but still very good. What I want to get to is the final song, the short one called The Eleventh Claw. Uh, I just want to listen to the, uh, a little bit past the opening of this, where we're going to hear Sargeist do some stuff that they've never quite done before, and it's clearly in some sort of dialogue with another very important band. And I don't know why it surprised me so much, because of course they would, but let's listen to Sargeist's take on McGlaw.
Dude. So I'm not crazy. That is directly referential, right? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine him doing something. You can imagine him doing something sort of like that on Let the Devil In, but it does really sound like a Migla riff. The whole delivery, like... Yeah, the the first we're obviously we're talking about the first big, big the first big single string single uh you know this first big single note tremolo tremolade. Yeah, and and even that more kind of like that darker more furtive one they do the second or third riff and that down down yeah that kind of thrash rhythm one that could also be a Maglar riff. That's that's actually a decent. That's actually a good point. A little like a newer Migla record or Krieg's Machine. Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking like Age um, Age of Excuse or Krieg's Machine. Yeah, yeah, you would hear that kind of but, thing. But the riff in between them, holy shit! Like that's um, the big florid Sargeist riff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I, interesting. It sound like a Sargeist riff to me. It you don't think so? Like it's too it's too lush. Like the textures aren't as restricted. Um, and it's got like those two, the two channel thing there is crazy. He's got, again, it breaks off into two different riffs basically. And you've got those like slot glissando slides on both of them at like different times and different directions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's see again, it's it, that really, that stuff really reminds me of this sort of like pyrotechnic mid nineties, you know, high elf black metal. Yeah. You know, it's. Like, that is very, you know, yeah, this, th- that whole sort of Kvist, Soren, Thy Primordial, whatever range of bands. It's just sort of like subtle and extremely subtle, richly corded, and just sort of crazily played with this crazy flamboyance. Yeah, it's got that aristocratic quality. Yeah, oh, no. and then it just, and like a lot of those bands, then it just drops to Vada, 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 yeah, Vada. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 I guess... think that's a perfect sequence. I just loved every, like, I, I loved when the, when that last power chordy part finished that they just started the sequence again and played it again. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I just found this really interesting because I've never really heard Sargai sound like this. And I, I don't know, it, it feels like maybe there's some sort of, I mean, this is kind of a blind spot on my part. It's like you imagine that when you get to a certain level, you're not like listening to the other big bands, but that makes no sense. Why wouldn't mm-hmm. Sargeist be listening mm-hmm. to McGlaw? Why wouldn't McGlaw be listening to Sargeist? Like, there's very natural continuity between those styles. And as two of the most influential black metal bands in the world right now, why wouldn't they be comparing notes? So it's very interesting to hear Sargeist do what is, I think, very deliberately their kind of take on a McGlaw song. Like, I, I think that was almost a... It's so distinct, it feels like it was conscious. It was like, mm-hmm. hey, let's... Like, literally, they gather in the practice space. I got a couple riffs here. Let's do, like, a McGlaw thing here. You know, there's mm-hmm. little, there's mm-hmm. even little touches in the drumming that suggest dark side and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, with those two powers combined, you know, if we, one day in the near future, we will have the ultimate McClaw and Sargeist fusion band, and that will announce a thousand years of darkness in black metal.
All right, and we are back from just shooting the shit for like 30 minutes uh, with Feed the Infamy by Ride for Revenge on the Death Metal Guys' favorite label. Definitely a, a top It's up there, label. yeah. Bestial Burst. Yeah. Um, these, they thought they could slip this one by us. They thought if they released it on December 31st, Terminus wouldn't cover it. <laughs> well, they were wrong. Um, you're, you're not going to escape the for, attention ride of... for Revenge. You're not going <laughs> to escape the attention of a guy with a Ride for Revenge tattoo. Or, <laughs> or me, a guy with two Ride for Revenge shirts. I, I like that you're, you're the guy that introduced me to Ride for Revenge, and I'm the one that got the tattoo. <laughs> oh, it's one of my best intros, you know, introductions. I, I feel good about that one. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, I've, got a, I've got a fair amount of real estate dedicated to that one. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because you got a big ass. <laughs> that that would be good. I, I I should get a second ride for revenge tattoo on yeah, my ass. You, I have two shirts. You get a second tattoo. Um, <laughs> so yes, ride for revenge could not prevent us from loving their record. Unfortunately, um, so this is a band that is dear to both of our hearts, um, and we've talked about them a lot over the years. Um, how would you describe Ride for Revenge for our, our fans. I, you, I guess a lot of people who like this show probably like Ride for Revenge already. But I bet. Not like, yeah, there's not a lot like of a household name. Well, there, there's a lot of like bestial burst crossover in our listeners. <laughs> I think. Um, well, I think just based on the notes, I would describe them differently from you. Um, <laughs> so, if you look at Finnish extreme metal. I, I see there as basically being two wings. One of which we covered on the last segment, which is the Franco-Finnish kind of melodic black metal idea. And the second being the one that is kind of centered around Bestial Burst, which is slower, noisier, more experimental interpretations of the outlines of ideas laid down by Beharit way back in the day. Um, Ride for Revenge itself actually varies a lot over the course of their career, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So, Well, you could just put Bestial Burst stuff in a as a sh- offshoot of the Beharit Archgoat style. Yeah, it, it is Beharit even... Archgoat. Yeah, it's even noisier and more experimental. Yeah. And you know, the Barret Archgoat style is still around in part because Archgoat is still around. But yeah, you know, there yeah. are there are younger Finnish bands doing things like that. Too. Like the uh, the legendary Anal Blasphemy, who I, I mentioned was just occasionally. Gonna say, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although they've got some of those, you know, Finn Black riffs in there too, which is one thing that makes them just unique. Oh, do they? I I haven't yeah. listened to some of their more recent stuff. I I mean, I like the the fact that they're like black metal artery eruption. You know, it's yeah, like, it, yeah. this is barely music type shit. <laughs> just just drunk Finns in their basement, raping nuns, you know? Um, so Ride for Revenge, it really depends upon the record. Uh, because even as simple as their music is, there's a ton of variation. Um, so we got into Ride for Revenge, or you did, and you introduced them to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where they were a bass only sort of noisy black doom band um and then guitars became incorporated after that 
And now it's just, it's kind of a toss-up of what you're going to get from album to album. Um, and I th- this will be an interesting discussion because I think there's different things about this band that we really emphasize that are our favorite aspects of it. Because it, it's amazing how much depth there is within this band, despite how incredibly primitive the music is. Um, but how would you describe it? Because I, I think, I'm sure you have a different take on it. <laughs> um, the, I guess what struck me about it when I first heard it was that it was very recognizably black metal, but had just massive crushing low end. And this would have been at the time of Wisdom of the Few, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I basically just listened to the one song. I just listened to Morning Won't Bring a Twinkling Star. It's the YouTube. best song. It's the yeah. best song. <laughs> I, like, it's 12 minutes long. It's longer than anything. I, yeah. Did I ever listen to that full album? I don't know. I, but what I would know is like right then is when people were starting to put shit on YouTube. That was on YouTube. That that was like, that was a song. And then I got Under the Eye when that came out. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but what really struck me about that one song, basically is uh they it was yeah it had this powerful low end that you don't usually get in black metal maybe you got on drawing down the moon mm-hmm. but like a really extreme version of that and moves at very low tempos but the way it moves at those slow tempos is not like doom and especially not like the extreme doom that it most closely resembles Ride for Revenge has this, they have what you could call, like, it sways and lurches, but always with this sort of extreme syncopation that's, like, even more exaggerated than, like, beatdown. I heard this and I was like, this is, like, primitive black metal that works like a mosh-driven hardcore band at half the tempo. Mm -hmm. And this was right about the time we were also listening to, like, Straight Savage style and stuff. Yeah. Or, like, the first Zabalba record was coming out. And so it was like, here's a band that is producing adjacent effects in a completely different sonic tradition, right? Yeah. That's coming out of these, uh, um, that's coming out of these Finnish bands and before that Hellhammer. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's... uh, Yeah, this is what... I wrote this in the notes for later, but I could say it now. You know, it's like... To me, it seems like Hellhammer is just the band for Ride for Revenge, and they work on, like, drawing out aspects of the sound, this potential for, like, super crushing, uh, down-tempo music that's not fully fleshed out there. Um, and th- that's, like, the in like most of the riffs, if you wanted to try to convert them into a faster riff, would be, like, Hellhammer riffs of some kind in that vein. And that's the influ- That's their influence, Hellhammer. But then they have this complete encyclopedic awareness of everything else in the sonic space around Hellhammer, irrespective of its genre. Yeah. Right. So, like, we talked about Baharit, but you could equally say this has something in common with Reverend Bizarre. Yeah. Uh, the the only also Finnish and the only old school sounding doom band you should listen to. Um, <laughs> they are uh, very good. There's 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 a couple others guys, but I, yes, I, Reverend is good. <laughs> I, I know it's you know they've got those bellowing vocals and it's basically extreme metal, 
right? Yeah, it's yeah, it is. Line. So, um, this is, uh, so, yeah, I guess I think of this as just, like, intoxicated body music. Oh, it's constantly drunk. Mm-hmm. It, it's constantly drunk and sometimes on heroin. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Mor- Morning Won't Bring a Twinkling Star is on heroin. It's the the sound of, of shooting up heroin and then going into the woods for, like, a satanic sacrificial ritual. It's it's <laughs> awesome. It's it's such a distinct atmosphere that this band shooting, has. Shoot, shooting, up her- shooting up heroin to kill the empathy. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's like, it's this, like... Uh, I, I love the idea that they kind of channel this energy of certain parts of like marginal second wave of like like junky Satanism, you know, like mm-hmm. like mysticum style or like mutilation style to a mm-hmm. degree. And it's just like, yeah, I like doing hard drugs and being evil. <laughs> that's that's my favorite shit, you know? Yeah. Um but so this album in particular, though, uh, I would say. So I would argue that for the band itself, the primary influence is Beharit. That's the dominant thing. But for this album, yeah, absolutely Hellhammer. Uh, I, I agree with that. This is, at least to me, kind of different in their discography because I, I called this in the notes like, this is Ride for Re- Revenge doing a party record. In a sense, like I can imagine listening to this around other human beings and drinking beer and like <laughs> under the eye is like that too. Well, well, my favorite ever is Wisdom of the Few. So yeah. no, I think that is the Ride for Revenge album. Like it's just the most extreme. Under the eye is when they incorporated the guitar, and at that it point, doesn't they... sound like it. I was like, I I saw that they had the guitar on Under the Eye, and I was like, where? Like I can't even. <laughs> I, I can tell. It just creates more of the big fuzz. <laughs> um, but they, they create... It's, it's got a bit of a sort of a flat... Like a wider sound on under, the, on under the Eye. But that's where they get those sort of... More of those shorter songs and these kind of driving... Uh, driving Messiah and Triumph of Death type grooves. Mm-hmm. Um, but like... It's, um, but so I think like you said, they're really sort of have a couple, there's like some poles that they move between, right? The really slow stuff and then the, the really slow, deliberate, long songs, um, uh, drugged out and then stuff that's also drugged out, but more like for crashing into furniture. Yeah, they'll they'll occasionally have some really aggressive, almost like borderline crusty stuff here and there, yeah. but this record tends to move at a comfortable like low mid pace, um, mm-hmm. and the the whole vibe is kind of different. You're not really on this. So so I, I I my my top, you know my my meta commentary about this record is, I like this a lot. It's not my favorite of the discography because for me. Ride for Revenge is my favorite parts are the most extreme and noisiest and kind of minimal weirdo shit. Sort of the least metal parts. Mm-hmm. But this might be one of the best things in their discography as a heavy metal record, if that makes sense. Yeah, to me it sounds it seems like it does I don't like 
I don't remember. It's been a while since I've listened to Under the Eye, but what I remember it as is being mostly this more driving stuff, almost like a more extreme and better version of The Cult is Alive. Like, what a record like like that could have been. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If it were, like, tuned down, like, half half a staff. That's true. My my favorite Ride for Revenge stuff is, you know, the 20-minute songs. So. Yeah, so, so this song, this record seems to integrate those in that it has a lot of, um, it's got a lot of the kind of rhythmic stuff, the swaying and lurching that I'd associate with Morning Won't Bring a Twinkling Star, but inserted in these more punchy, punchy formats and with sort of hammering lower mid-tempo grooves. And so it sort of bridges... I feel I feel like this is a weird. It's a very dynamic record, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of just there's intense compressive rhythm all over it, and they work through a couple different kinds of riff forms, and there's a lot of range within and between the songs. It seems to it seems to me like a very like if you gave if you wanted to explain to someone what Ride for Revenge is, well, play the Morning while Bring a Twinkling Star. But if you don't do that. Like just make them listen to this. Yeah. So well, let me let me play a sample. Um, mm-hmm. So should I put my commentary up front or behind this? Anyway, so this is not the side of Ride for Revenge that I typically like the most, but goddamn, if this isn't one of the best Ride for Revenge songs I've ever heard. Uh, this is called I Reek of Old Alcohol, which sounds like a nowadays Dark Throne song title. Mm-hmm. But the reality, let me tell you, is so much worse. Yeah. 
That's actually kind of fast for a ride for revenge, actually. <laughs> yeah, they're taking the lurch riff and pushing the tempo on it. Yeah. So, so one my my cool hot take thesis about Ride for Revenge is that the power of this band is to take these elemental sort of riff and rhythm forms of heavy metal and to sort of like like double archaeologists like re-uncover the the sort of darkness and malignancy and aggression within them. All the all these like simple kind of chromatic or minor key melodic ideas we've heard a thousand times. Most of these rhythms we've heard a thousand times, but their power over kind of timbral ideas and the physical playing brings back the sensation of hearing those for the first time as a kid. Um, they 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 allow the viciousness that lives within these ideas to return even after you've been listening to this kind of thing for 20 years. Oh, that's lovely. Well, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, uh, yeah, just like, now we're going to show you why. da 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 is cool. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, if you break it down, like, that that main riff, which is incredible, I mean, that's, like, borderline a fucking Pantera riff, you know? Yeah, that's what I mean. This band exists in this territory where it's so engaged with, as you say, this sort of, like, fundamental building blocks of aggressive music that it's adjacent to a bunch of things that are not remotely in the same genre in terms of what it's influenced by. Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's it, it has something in common with Pantera. Yeah, it does. I mean, it has it definitely has something in common with like mid '90s hardcore. Yeah. So nice segue. Um, <laughs> it's uh. So yeah. So like yeah. Basically, I completely agree with what you just said. And now let's listen to the track written for the band. They named for the band. Like, I, my my sort of headcanon for this is uh, that Harold Mentor has been sitting on this song basically the entire time he's had the band. Waiting for like, the opportunity to unleash it. Yeah, yeah, been like slowly working on it. And like, as far as a rockin', driving Ride for Revenge song, this is just masterful. This to me is one of the best things they've done. And is already like... A song of the year. Um, <laughs> it's a, these are just perfectly chosen riffs. But um, we will talk more about the hardcore thing after this.
So, I mean, talk about the physical plane there. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the main things that distinguishes Ride for Revenge from other bands. This lineup is so good. You hear the drumstick in the air before it hits the snare. (laughs) I just, the the flourishes on the bass, um, really tight bass. The bass playing on this whole record is really dynamic. I was noticing that in... uh, I reek of old alcohol. Weird little mm-hmm. bass flourishes you wouldn't expect, but they add a lot. They're, yeah, it, given that the music is so rhythm, yeah, it, it, adding the guitars has allowed the bass to stop acting like the guitar, and mm-hmm. now it can start. To, yeah, you get this aggressive darting bass that's like oh, you can you can hear again in terms of this being Ride for Revenge basically is just in touch with all of the most cool esoteric music. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like in the ba- you can hear like the birthday party in the bass. Well, I was I, I was about um, to say um, for, I don't even know why it struck me. Maybe I've just been thinking about this band. It's like you can tell the guys from Ride for Revenge are into like suicide. You know? Yeah. So okay. So like here we go. So like so I mean we you and I have always like joked about this sounding kind of like beat down right and yeah. it's always been like well that's just our obsessions and what we happened to be listening to at the time when this came when we became aware of this band right obviously there's no direct influence but so where where the hell are they getting this stuff right is it just this pure animal instinct but like it this song and a number of related riffs on this record make it clear like that, you know, like that's an unsane riff. And unsane were white t clean white t shirt hardcore guys influenced by the birthday party. Yeah. Um. So this is like noise. This is so the funny thing is, there's common and there actually is a connection. To beat down, it's just in the common, distant common ancestry, in like Chromax or like, you know, sh- sh- yeah, shit like Chromax, basically. Well, yeah, it was um, it, it was funny because I was like reading your notes as mm-hmm. we went through that sample, and I was like, <laughs> I I was just thinking as we listened to that song, it's like the basic building blocks here can be either Ride for Revenge or Satisfaction is the Death of Desire. <laughs> you know, it's like like yeah. it, it, it's amazing. You know, and that's part of what Ride for Revenge does. It's like they take these incredibly simple building blocks mm-hmm. and then they play this Rorschach test with the listener. This music can and be it, whatever you consider it to be. Yeah, it, it's that even with the aesthetics. It's like, like right, Werewolf did the graphics, for the defining graphics for them, and I think the logo. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this says it all. The logo... Like, back in the day, the logo would have scanned almost like a deathcore band. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, lo- the logo is, like, definitely seems like a hardcore band or a death metal band, not a raw black metal band. Um, it's one of the most unique logos of any band in this neck of the woods. Um, and it's tethered to their insignia, which is this awesome screen print of, like, a, uh, you know, like a, a barbarian cavalryman raising his lance. Mm-hmm. And so the record exudes this, you know, on the one hand, it exudes the, um, you know, the sort of like uh, drug and sexual ugliness of sort of black metal Satanism. 
And it's also got all this sort of heathen mysticism stuff just woven in around the edges everywhere. Well, yeah, and, and then... They're he, not, like, thematized... They're not, like, this is a band about X. It's just all bleeding into it. Well, yeah, and then you've got other consistent design elements like the the classic uh, war metal black, white, red color schemes. Mm-hmm. You've got the effect of every album cover, almost every album cover is, like, a distinct figure or shape in a Mm -hmm. black expanse that applies to this one there's only a couple that don't apply like that um there it's 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 black metal structure aesthetically but then it's kind of up in the air as to what they want to incorporate into that it's just a band yeah yeah (laughs) they're what they want to be yeah the song titles are the coolest things. At, like, every one of these titles is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean that's... They, they're not a leather jacket band, but there's a quality to this of, like, Ride for Revenge is extremely cool. Like, I'm no, kind of surprised. Is... Like, why haven't hipsters picked up on Ride for Revenge, you know? Um, I know some dudes who are like... Well, actually, I don't know. Never mind. Um, I think... No, never mind. I, I, I thought I might have known some, like, intense noise music record collector type guys who liked Red for Revenge, but I think maybe it was that I was telling them about RFR. I mean, it seems like um, it'd be a, a shoe-in for, you know, hospital records type guys. Oh, yeah. Well, those people probably do like Red for Revenge. Like, I, of I course, mean, not that hospital records exists anymore, but you know. yeah, does, yeah. When did hospital end? It's a. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Dominic's doing fine for himself, so I'm not too concerned. Yeah, yeah. As uh, you know, I just want, I just, you know, I just want Dominic to be happy somewhere. <laughs> it's um, uh, it's he, he's adorable when he's happy. <laughs> anyway, okay, so. We gotta listen to this album's equivalent of uh, Morning Won't Bring a Twinkling Star, of course. Um, uh, I want to play The Altar of Eternal Power Fire. Um, <gasps> hey, Black Metal Guy, do you want to hear a song with one riff? You know I always and only do. <laughs> Let's go.
Yeah, yeah, and for those wondering, yeah, it's that riff continuously, and then there's a couple minutes of noise basically at the end, and that's the song. And it Good. rules. Yes, yeah. it, it's a killer riff. I mean, it's a, it's not a riff. It, it's something so primordial. Somehow, Ride for Revenge takes these, like... I wonder if they outsource their riff writing to guitarists who like are really into metal but just started playing like three weeks ago and it's like you write a riff and then you give it to us and then we're gonna transform it into one of the most powerful things ever just through virtue of our playing it you know yeah Yeah, they all have i mean you know yeah this band is but another way of saying exactly the same thing is this band is really really interested in what makes a good riff yeah no it's thereafter you you said something in the notes that i liked that is you know that you know it's like they just never lost the magic from the first time they heard a power chord right yeah i mean that that goes hand in hand with that whole idea of you know recapturing that sort of like dark magic of when you Mm -hmm. first heard this they never gave that up they still feel that every time with with what i say about being deliberate about the power chord uh taking it for granted and taking it as a chance to write these sort of uh elemental melodic figures um you know it's like this band like this is like you know i mean another really cool band that ride for avengers like is the stooges and the bass plane is i mean the birthday party is basically commentary on the stooges so Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, this is the kind of primitivism you got in Funhouse, and the the sort of uber the sort of like intensely syncopated rhythms, the stabbing bass in there or whatever, it's like on on just on this track in particular, like you could think of that as like stuff on Funhouse, um, or or the, even the like the the shuffle, the Neanderthal shuffle is kind of like the first Stooges record, the self titled. It's um, yeah. It's just it's no fun. Girl, you know it's yeah. It's just kick drums in perfect synchronicity with the riff. You know, just how do we make a a single tone as hard as it can be? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it, it just it just so happens that Ride for Revenge has certain aesthetic developments they have access to that the Stooges didn't. If the Stooges yeah, yeah, yeah. if the Stooges were around now, they would probably do stuff like this. You know? <laughs> oh, for sure. I think they'd probably like it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's like yeah, this this was the idea the whole time. We just yeah, didn't no. have the technology for it. Those, those, yeah, those guys stayed cool. So. <laughs> So, um, I honestly thought you might take this one, but I just wanted to get in and take it. Uh, this one is, um, although that, that last one is so sick. This record's just good all the way through. So yeah. this is, um, 
This is another one of the longer songs that has more of that um, down-tempo, uh, down-tempo Ur-Mosh energy. Uh, and this is whatever in hell it is. And this is also maybe the only place where they get close to, like, I always say, Ride for Revenge is not a Doom band, and, like, Doom isn't a genre, and you can't call it Doom just because it's slow. But this is one of the only places where they get kind of close to a big Doom riff. It has that kind of, like, architectural kind of thing going on. Um, but, yeah, so, not that it has a lot of notes. This is, uh, so here's our structure. Build, big riff, build, breakdown. Stop the sample for a sec. I just want to talk about this. Okay. Okay, yeah. I had to break in over that to just say, like, listen to the rhythm on that. That is so subtle. Mm-hmm. They're doing such a strange accent. They're doing that, like, weird downbeat accent on the first half of the riff, and then in the last half of the riff... They invert the accent and just smash out the rest of the chords. God damn it, Black Metal Guy. This is the kind of thing I try to point out on Brutal Death reviews, but it's too fast for you. Well, I can't <laughs> count that high. <laughs> <laughs> this is speaking my language. It's, uh... Um, yeah. It's, it's really cool, staggered time. The drumming is fantastic, and... An uh, interesting thing I noticed is that, yeah, so on, on um, Wisdom of the Few, Harold uh, was playing the drums. Yeah. Um, on this, it's um, Hail Conjurer of the band Hail Conjurer, which I haven't heard, but he put one out last year. Uh, and you can hear that he's listened to those old records and internalized the things about the symbol placement and things like that and, like, drawn them out and maybe elaborated on them. But, like, this is, it's just so, what they're doing there is just, the way he's, like, I mean, the, the guitars are written, the guitars and drums are written together, but you could hear the way the drummer is, like, cutting into the riff and fucking it. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's interesting, because in the notes you say that it's uh, a good compliment to Harold's style. I agree with that to a degree, but I think there's like subtle, important differences that give this kind of an altogether different character than when Harold was playing. 
Well, it's, I think it's more technical, right? But, uh, but More, well, as, as technical as you can be in something like Ride for Revenge. I mean, also, it, it depends on kind of what the drummer is leaning into. I don't know if I've talked about this on the show, but in my experience with drummers, it feels like every drummer personally has a part of the kit they're leaning into especially hard um Mm -hmm. something that's like that is the real center to them that focuses their attention Mm -hmm. uh for this guy to me it feels like the kick drum like Mm -hmm. everything kind of drives out from the kick drum for harold it was all about the crash symbol I was going to say, it was the cymbals. Yeah, it was that that obnoxious, horrible, continuous eighth, like, crash or china. You know, because I think when, as Harold was playing, I mean, Harold is a competent drummer, obviously not a good one. So what is he emphasizing? He's emphasizing noise and timbre. This is a guy who's a more sophisticated drummer, but he's also a little bit different in that he's leaning into the kick so hard. The kick is what's driving everything. Yeah, this is this it's more sophisticated drumming, but in some way it's like, uh, yeah. So he's like, like, like Harold is like using the symbol to do on the one hand something you'd get in a like hip hop influenced hardcore band, mm-hmm. or yeah. like. Or, I mean, were Cro-Mags hip-hop influence? Not really, but they were similar groove, yeah. right? Um, uh, and on the other hand, they're using the symbols, to, he's using the symbols to do, like, coil. Like, yeah. how, like they have a song called How to Destroy Angels that's just 12 minutes of symbols or gong. Yeah, um, yeah. Harold Harold is really into the, the crashes sounding like shit. You know? Yeah, so his, you know, no, I love that. So his drumming is, on the one hand, more primitive, but also kind of more, like, arty and textural whereas this guy is maybe a more proficient drummer but he's really into these just like big barbaric ride for revenge as barbarian music drumming yeah um, he he wants it to be heavy in yeah, a different kind of way just in a different kind of way yeah in the early ride for revenge the heaviness comes almost entirely from the rhythm yeah just like the way it locks in together yeah it's it's rhythm and just noise yeah. finding the yes. heaviness Rhythm's, within yes horrible noise yeah rhythm yeah. noise and the downtune timbre yeah and here here the whole band everyone in the band i think it's like a, it's a conscious thing it's like okay this version of ride for revenge is just like we hit every single note as hard as possible um and this drummer does that really well but the thing that he's picked up on about the cymbal play is like making those individual accents count it's like he gets the rhythmic the the, the little subtle differentiating things on the cymbals or whatever that would make those staggering riffs really land, this guy gets it and does it with more of a heavy snare, heavy kick thing. Yeah. Um, no, it's, 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 a, it's similar ultimate effects, but there's a very different journey getting there, and that does make a substantial difference. No, I'm glad you pointed that out. Okay, should we listen to the rest of the sample, or is that that good? We got a... Oh, let's listen to it do its thing.
what oh. were you listening to? Uh, I was uh, I put in the interlude track for uh, the first segment. Oh, nice! What? Uh, I I think it's something that I I really love that I've never showed you the sarcophagus. Uh, yeah, let's see. Da, 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 da. The Sarcophagus? Yeah, I have never heard of that. They're a Turkish band. They've only ever done a couple records. This one's from 2009. It's some Turkish guys, and they got Nicholas Kvarforth from Shining to do session vocals. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's sick. It's like the same energy as something like Eschaton or like Excessum. Uh-huh. Just, just like powerful, fucking huge like my melodic riffs are stronger than <laughs> this is sick yeah it's immediately and the drum machine like adds to it in this case oh my god the guitar sounds bit crushed yeah but like but in a good like way adds, yeah it adds to it it's kind of like warwolf yeah 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 dude i love that record man I I, yeah. I guess I just never mentioned it to you, but yeah, dude, that's like, that's one of those like weird deep cut, just like gestural melodic black metal records, like that Excessum record I always talk about. I, yeah. I categorize it in the same way. It's like these riffs are barely riffs, but they just have unlimited power. They're harmonized really well. Yeah, no, there there is some like Swedish Black Death stuff going on, but it's very stripped down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's, yeah, they got a cool kind of drone thing from having that. They have the base of the big core. You could have these songs without the lead at all, but then they've just got that, like, deliberately excessive, like, trem lead over it, and that creates these harmonies that are kind of cool. Yeah, it's just, it's got that, um... They're using a lot of that open note drone Slavic stuff, but in completely different melodic contexts. Yeah, it's yeah, I like this a lot. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's it's really cool. As far as just like a party or like a driving record, it's it's outstanding. Which is like a whole a whole niche that I think is underappreciated. Yeah, uh, you know, of just it's like a good. I, I like that they're called the Sarcophagus. That's a memorable name. Yeah, and and the. It's like it's weird. It's like I I hate Kvarforth, but his vocals are really good and not his typical style on this record. Well, he's like a talented vocalist. Yeah, and it's like the lyrics are like retarded and cool. Like the first verse of that song is black mountains are encircled by the heavy black clouds the nebula peak sank to the dust of time gray coil covers slope of the old rocks a screaming cold wind tears the silence something not peaceful awaits beyond that land <laughs> like oh, fuck yeah, yeah dude yeah. yeah i i love strong monsters <laughs> behind <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's like a, when I listen to this song, I feel like a really, really strong monster. All right, and we are back from hyperventilating about a Turkish black metal band called The Sarcophagus to bring you the uh, the new one from Werewolf. This is Funeral by Grieve on Werewolf Records. Productions, <laughs> whatever it is. Records, yeah. Um, so, this is, uh, 
This is a side project, I guess, by um, fi some Finnish black metal scene guys, uh, foremost among them, uh, Werewolf from Satanic Warmaster. Um, and also the, you know, the head of Werewolf Records. Um, and it originally included four guys. So it also had, it had V Chaos from Vargrav and Druadon Forest. Vargrav is this like pretty solid, like pretty good emperor tribute basically. Um, uh, and then um, it, it had a couple other guys, including Spellgoth from Horna playing bass. Um, but those other dudes left. So now this record is just Werewolf and V Chaos. V is doing the drumming. Werewolf's doing everything else. Um, and I guess at this point the idea was just let's record a full length and then just put this one to rest. So this is the debut full length and also the last release of Grieve. Whatever they wanted to accomplish this with this, they've they've done. Um, and uh, this is this is really fucking good. This is extremely good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting a ton from this, but I was very impressed. Yeah. It's, well, it's an understated, very straight-ahead, riff, riff, riff album, but uh, it's just excellent. So, um, between this... So, like, this comes in the wake of last year's True Werewolf record, which was this kind of... Uh, very charming homage to all of Werewolf's influences, uh, which means you get like some like spacey video game soundtrack stuff at times, but all you know like like Castlevania soundtrack type stuff, but all kind of superimposed all over this bed of just like stuff that sounds less like Satanic Warmaster riffs than like just Senor Valand riffs, mm -hmm. like just the most just the most glorious parts of Senor Valand riffs for like the whole record. Um, and they were a lot more stripped down compared to, say, like, the riffs on Corellian Satanist Madness, which are pretty, like, lush and fleshed out. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, and so between that and this record, it seems like Laurie is revisiting his roots, um, perhaps in preparation for the Satanic Warmaster record that I hear is coming soon. <laughs> um and so this is, uh, and so you, one might immediately ask, okay, well, you, you could sort of say this about True Werewolf too, but you could ask about, the, the obvious question about a project like this is, okay, why isn't this a Satanic War Master record? Well, uh, matter of personnel and also really specific differences in songwriting and overall aesthetic. I can hear how this sounds like certain Satanic War Masters, specifically Strength and Honor, which is probably my fa my favorite record of, of theirs. Um, and what it, what it's like in that sense is that it has these uh, um, monolithic song structures, like two or three riffs, and severity. That record um, is it, it's got a very different mood from the exuberance in uh, Curly and Satanist Madness. Um, it sounds resolute and uh, resolute and angry. Strong um, and honorable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I walked right into that one. 
Yes, yes, it's a record for like you know, like uh, listening to with your fists out, scowling. Um, and funeral has that mood completely, and you can hear links to specific songs, like uh, especially like a new Black Order. Mm-hmm. It's like, but it's like this new Black Order, or maybe Wolves of Blood and Iron, is like taken as the basis for an entire sound. Um, and throughout this record. These songs are way less focused on what's, you know, the Satanic Warmaster style that's come to be the basis of the Franco-Finnish style, right? These, you know, uh, flowing, sliding two-string melodies, right? With lots of notes and, like, cool changes in the bass, cool changes in the, you know, the the lower strings to modulate harmony, right? Uh, Instead, these are like these chord blocks that move at this deliberate processional tempo, but they are furiously trimmed. Um, one thing this record and last year's True Werewolf made me respect is what good right-hand work this guy has. So, oh, is, is, is that the part where I get to come in? That's the part where you make that joke again. Oh, 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 about uh, there's nothing the black metal guy appreciates more than than solid right-hand work from another man. <laughs> no, although that's kind of funny. Um, no, no, the, the joke about that's when I come in. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get you. All right. Yeah, sorry. Mm. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I fucked up the segue, but I got something else good out of it, so I guess it works. Um, so I, I think I have kind of a, a not entirely dissimilar read on this record from you, but I think I hear different things. Um, the one thing you skipped over in your description that we both noticed is that this is, in a very large part, a Gorgoroth record. Yeah. Like, more than I've heard in years, in terms of, like, a very directly referential record to Gorgoroth. And, uh, specifically the first three records. Um, so... As far as, like, pure Gorgoroth worship goes, um, there, uh, you can look at old Deathspell Omega, first couple records. You could look at, uh, I don't know, have you ever heard, uh, Impious Havoc from Poland, I think? No. But the first couple Deathspell Omega, like, literally cop riffs from yeah they they jack a lot from uh pentagram and antichrist mm-hmm. um impious havoc you'd probably be into that that's uh that's a it's pretty cool like straight like antichrist worship stuff but uh, honestly mm-hmm. as well known as gorgoroth is and as well loved as they are the era of the gorgoroth clone is kind of over even if you know it kind of ever existed this record, though, has a lot of directly referential stuff to Gorgoroth. Um, and it's not a, a total surprise, because, I mean, just listening to Werewolf's style of guitar playing, you you can see how it figures into Werewolf style and Finnish black metal in general. Um, I'm kind of curious because you had written all the notes for this record before I got to it. Did I get the samples that you were anticipating? Um, let's see. Possessed, absolutely, yes. Um, and, uh, Helvet and Valtaistuin, is that the one with a dunk-a-dunk, 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 the sort of, like, half-blasts? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, some, well, yeah, something yeah, yeah. like no, that. No, you, you picked yeah. the samples I was expecting. Well, yeah, it's like, uh, man, I was rolling into today, and it's like, oh, ooh, I'll leave these samples for you, but you gotta find them. Like, we're playing a fucking ARG on the podcast, and I'm like, oh, god damn it. Okay, let's see if I get them. But I always get them. I always get the samples you expect, and vice versa. Um, yeah. But, uh... But yeah, so but away from the whole Gorgoroth thing, uh, I was saying before we started recording this segment, it's like, oh, this is the kind of quote unquote boring black metal that I really love. <laughs> it's like th- this is the most purely black metal guy thing to bring on the show that I am also very passionate about. This is a great record, and it's a great record because it is not attempting to be great. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good point. It is it is conforming to the expectations of 1994 black metal with very little in the way of modern touches apart from a couple modern Finnish riffs that, you know, Werewolf will never be able to stay away from. And uh, maybe some more elaborate structural ideas here and there, but maybe not even. I think some of the darker chording sounds more modern. And not like Gorgoroth. There's touches of kind of like Slavic ideas here and there. Mm -hmm. I think that's big in terms of structure on this one. I would say it's big in terms of chord phrasing. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately what makes this so excellent is that it's very unselfconscious. You know, uh, you can imagine that, you know, this is two guys. This could have been jammed out in a practice space over the course of a couple months. Um which can be a great thing or a terrible thing for a record. In this case, it's it's pretty great. And as far as werewolf side projects go, this is definitely in the upper echelon. I mean, yeah, I it's it's a more it's a more low key release, but I prefer this to the the one from last year. It's um yeah, I like what you said. This probably started as like fuck it, let's re- fuck it, let's get some of these ideas down. Let's just record the record and be done with it. started with this very unambitious kind of thing and just through the sheer craftsmanship of the people involved it starts to take on this really clear identity um and starts to cohere as an album Um, yeah i think i think this is a very deliberate effort from werewolf to channel like you said channel the roots but more specifically channel the very first things that he was listening to. Mm-hmm. Like, a, as a kid getting into black metal, which I can identify with because Gorgoroth was one of the first things I ever listened to in black metal. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely get the, uh, the the sense of magic that permeates mm-hmm. this when, when thinking about early Gorgoroth. Well, um, as, as we both often are. <laughs> uh... So, yeah, I mean, that's a big band for, you know, Under the Sign of Hell is one of my favorites, uh, and I love the first two as well, right? So this is, yeah, in some ways this record's made for us. Uh, here, let's listen to, um, so one thing this record has a lot of, which I've hinted at, is just very um, sort of close, this might be what you mean about the Slavic thing, but sort of like close interval, high tension, dense storming chords. Um that are deployed in a way that's unusual for, you know, for this style. Um, and, uh, and also, so that might be a Slavic thing, and, uh, 
whereas Satanic Warmaster, right, you have these... It's not... People say it's verse-chorus. That's not true. They're often quite elaborate and developmental, yeah. but they are fast-paced, and they keep you, like... It's always, like, each riff throws into the next. You always want to hear where he's going. Races along, varied, new tricks being pulled out left and right. Here, in Grieve, he's going for this sort of monolithic scale that's a lot closer to a hate forest type thing. And you even get kind of drone ideas, just in terms of, like, this is black metal, we repeat. (laughs) So here's Winter of Torment. Structurally, pretty interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, throughout this record, it, it's interesting, kind of going back to some of the ideas on the uh, Serpent Noir and Sargeist. The idea of like A B A B structure that spills out into kind of a protracted riff sequence in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's something you hear a lot across this record, just more compressed. Yeah, this so this track starts off 
with the big Finn Black riff that we were rocking out on the end, right? Um, uh, the the sample starts as that one finishes, and then we just go into this major key bridge riff, right? Um, and you get this sort of like, um, these really bright sunny chords, but it is obviously fearsome. Um, in part because you, of that distance from the root tonality, right? Yeah, it's because just that, like that actually sounds very Slavic to me. That that really sunny part, the uh, yeah, yeah, that that little three note figure that dun dun dun. That's yeah, very dun, like dun, 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 yeah. that's very uh, druid around mm-hmm. autumn aurora to me. Yeah, Hate Forest even does that a couple times. Um, it's yes, it's very Slavic. Um, it's also. But but it's also kind of like um, a certain there are certain Norse bands that do things like that too. Anyway, but I'm I'm so so it's a yes, it's very Slavic sounding, and it's a good example of like you 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 have the major key stuff, but it's not just there as this novelty thing for variation. It's not just there as a transition. Um, and it's not shaped into a full hook either, right? He's He doesn't do anything to, like, stabilize the song around that new key. It's just, or chord or whatever it is, that new tonal tonality. Uh-huh. It just hangs up there in tension with the riff that was under it for a minute and a half. There's, like, there's almost a musical joke going on here. Like, he just drills it away with a blast. Then he just rocks it out, like, stompy. You get some nice bass stuff there. And then he just blasts it again. And so it just, it's, um, really commits to it and drones it. The thing that it reminds me of, in, as far as Finnish stuff, is Hate Spirit. Mm-hmm. Who, interestingly, seem to be kind of distant from the whole scene around, around Werewolf. Which, yeah. I don't know if it's, like, a regional thing or something. Um, but, like... Uh, yeah, that is um, that is really sick. And what I love is just the 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 discipline in the songwriting. Okay, we're rolling with this riff, and then it ends, and it drops into this thing that is like the big Finn Black hook riff at the beginning, but is much darker and sort of simplified, and is based just it gets its power mostly from that drop in the root note. Like, would you say that that sounds like some of the more simple, the simpler early Gorgoroth riffs? Because you know the first two records better than I do. Possibly, but there's there's moments on this record that are so much more distinctly Gorgoroth that it's it's almost hard to say. You know, there, there's stuff on this record that is directly referential well, to the, Gorgoroth. The, the two of those, all yes, the two, the second samples we each have, the 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 twos. You're going to do your sample, and then our two samples from the back end are directly referencing Gorgoroth. But, yeah, I don't think there are a lot of the more flowing Gorgoroth riffs of the kind that really influenced Satanic Warmaster and Sargeist and whatnot. Um, no, I I think the, the Gorgoroth references here are extremely intentional. I mean, even on the, the parts that don't sound... You know, like Gorgoroth, uh, like, you know, my next sample on Possessed. It's Possessed dot 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 because it's possessed by Satan. 
which he yells repeatedly over the course Does of the he? song. Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ. <laughs> I, I think is the I think, best song on the record, and I think he specifically says we are possessed by Satan. You know, <laughs> like it, it's yeah, it, it's deliberate. No, it's um. Does that mean Winter of Torbend is also deliberately named for Bitter Winter of Depression by Goatmoon? Possibly. You want to play that? Oh, yeah, I did have that sample in there. That's another, <laughs> that's another Finnish thing that has that the same sort of stark, monolithic kind of thing that's on this record. It's another very severe, block chord-based, high-tension kind of thing. So uh, let's, and it's my favorite song on that record by a long shot, even though it is also like, in certain ways, the, uh, like by far the simplest. But uh, yeah, let's listen to some of that real quick. It's a short sample. You'll get the idea of the mood. You know, you you talk to me about like, oh, I, I don't know why you're into these like gestural riffs that aren't anything. What the fuck are you showing me right here? <laughs> uh, that's a. I like my chord progression riffs better than your chord progression riffs. <laughs> <laughs> that's fa- that's fair. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> and so, and so we've, we've all got our chord progression riffs. Um, uh, I mean, I, admittedly... I can, I can speak the tabs of the intervals I'm obsessed with. Just yeah. out loud, yeah. Like, doing that one as duh, 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 that one would be, is really hard to land. Like, any playing it any differently from the way, exact way he plays it would make it sound cliche and static yeah it's a, it would be a hokey um soundtrack to uh stronghold the medieval castle building strategy game yes. thing. <laughs> yeah but he's using uh, like he's it's something about the way it's harmonized with the keys and there might be like a fourth in that chord or something it's like there is something weird going on it's there. something yeah. higher tension there with a little more texture and it's just being bashed to all hell with a lot of conviction. And what makes it then is the, that inverted kind of thing in the middle. The da, 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 da. I can't even really hum it. Da, da, da. it. Because it's so just like based on bass note changes. But it's like this singing riff. Um, and that has that kind of like tight high tension vibe that exists in a lot of the riffs on this grave record yeah i i get what you mean yeah it's a simple 
melodic ideas manipulated through chord voicings into something more complex and yeah. a, a little less sugary and yeah. more conflicted. Yeah. Yeah. Riffing that's coming from the chords and the harmonies and like the bass thing is the power chord and then you're just coloring beyond that in various ways. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, I that's a technique that I like a lot as a guitarist. Me too. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> so, the best song on the record, Possessed, that you gave up to me. You're a sweetie, you know? Oh. Um, so, uh, this is going to be a long sample because there was a couple distinct things I really wanted to include. I, I thought about splitting them up, but the, the second thing comes, you know, 20 seconds after the first thing, so it's like, whatever. No, this is just a really good song. We should listen to half of it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, unbel- it's far and away the best song. The rest of the songs on this record are very good, but this is so obviously the yeah. song of the record. It's like, mm-hmm. it's several standard deviations above everything else. So, mm-hmm. well, let's, let's listen to this first half and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it.
he can't keep getting away with it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, so, okay, so there's a few things to talk about there. One is the, I'm really into the sort of AABB structured riffs lately. Um, Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, that opening riff of like, two cuts of one phrase and two cuts of another almost as though they're two different riffs but really it's about the arrangement of the four together um outstanding take on that at the beginning of this track uh that keeps coming up throughout the song which is a a primary thing that narboleth used on mm-hmm. their record last year which is upon further <laughs> upon further review um, and listening more over our break, I think it might be the smartest black metal record of last year as far as just like straight academic understanding of how to assemble black metal. It's kind of unmatched for last year. Yeah, that's, I think that's true. It's very subtle. And that <clears throat> yeah. kind of, a, the, a, it's, it's kind of doing, it's a more sophisticated version of the same effect that Sargeist is going for on the lead song on that last one, which is like, Yep. Here are the two. We are not writing the verse riff and the chorus riff. These riffs are part of the same idea. It's kind of a similar thing here. You do the A A B thing, B B thing. You create one whole phrase that is very long and where it has this kind of uh, it's a very disciplined way of writing a riff too. You're not relying on a turnaround. Yeah, it's a the the contrast between the two sides is integral to the primary idea of the riff as a whole um then we get into a series of sort of traditional fin black riffs recognizable to fans of satanic war master um but they all together have kind of a different character there's a a more morose quality to it than you typically Mm -hmm. hear in satanic war master that tends to revolve around triumph um and there's also just an interesting kind of... It's it's hard to tell where one riff is beginning and the other is ending. Uh, it's a, kind of an elaborate sequence of melodic ideas in the middle. Again, like the Sargeist song. Um, it seems like he's endlessly repeating one riff, but in fact there are like two to four variations on it. Yeah, when you concentrate on it, it's like, oh, wow, this is a really dynamic, complex part. But even after, you know, several listens, it's kind of hard to tell where one starts and the other does. Yeah. So it's uh, it's unusually sophisticated writing. Now, Werewolf is a sophisticated musician, don't get me wrong, but rarely is it as subtle and restrained as it is here, I would say. Yeah, well, in the classic, you know, on, like, Corellian or whatever, right, you've got these very clearly demarked transitions between riffs. And often it's like, okay, here's the tension-building power chord part, and then here's, the, you know, the, the massive, glorious, uh, finnic folk melody, and here's the weird sort of uh, enchanted speed metal lick, right? Yeah. They're all kind of... Um, uh, yeah, it's it's very like it's everything is coming from the shape of the riffs themselves. Here it has way more to do, and they're all like in these clear. It's it's all in, it's like a segment, series of segments. Yeah, here that like lead to each other really nicely, but they're all clearly defined. 
I hear he's relying a lot more, yeah, on like he's relying a lot more on the right hand stuff, and to like like sort of like slide from one thing to another, and to and on these subtle changes to vary it. That's something I heard on last year's record too, where it'd be like you could tell he's just there's just this totally bespoke stuff he's doing, just like okay, the second time. The second time the B prime riff repeats, there's this weird little variation on the end of it. Um, yeah, well, uh, but something else that he's doing that's really distinct for Grieve compared to Satanic War Master is it really just comes down to chord voicings. He's using voicings mm-hmm. on this record that you don't really hear in Satanic War Master. No, 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 I, I completely agree. This yeah. is much, much more solemn. Yeah, well, Satanic War Master is really fundamentally based around, just after studying some of his tabs, because I'm thinking of doing a cover of one of his songs with my band, um, uh, it, it's based on interaction between regular uh, fifth power chords and then the inversion of that, the sort of French-style reverse chord. Um, so he's constantly flipping between those two and kind of subdivisions of those uh, chord ideas. Here, there's much wider intervals going on. You've got these kind of like, um, kind of like uh, two-step uh, interval power chords going on. So like five to nine on the A, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's like a primary voicing that you hear across this record a lot. And those sort of dramatic gulfs in intervals on single chords create that super solemn quality, which also adds the Slavic quality, because that's something you hear a lot yeah. from those Oh, yeah, guys. the first, you hear that for sure in the first, in the um, A part of that first AABB riff, right? Oh, yeah, I was, I was thinking of the B part, that... Duh. Yeah, that that B part, that dun 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 dun. You know that that second chord is like a really wide interval that snaps up with the bass note and rises along with it. I I think I could probably play it on guitar just from hearing it. This, um, it's interesting. Thing, yeah, he's with with the sort of just yeah. I, I guess, but not just he's relying like there's so much plain stuff that is being used not just to spice things up, but to vary the actual riff. So yeah. that's that's what I was getting. Like, so in the ABB thing, um, the second on the A prime, the second channel guitar is holding the octave drone longer mm-hmm. than on the first time. There's like all all sorts of shit like that. That's why it's very hard to tell sometimes where one of these riffs stops and another starts. Things are actually sliding over from the previous riff, or things are being held in ways they weren't before. Um, there's really like, I, it, there's kind of this like, uh, the s- classic Satanic Warmaster stuff is kind of rigid, right? It's like this. It's it's all based on the writing. This, it's like he's realized he has this whole canvas, this whole range of expression in the plane that, uh, you know, changes the substance of what he's doing. Yeah. Well, to make it clear, obviously, the the rigidity of Satanic War Master is very deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a rigor of a kind. It's a certain kind of rigor. It's like, I'm... The songs have to work based only on the note choice. 
you could play uh, based only on the note choice and you know each riff has to just drop into the next I don't want to be cheating by relying on playing to blur between them and whatever right it's yeah. uh, um, there has to be this necessity built into the note structures and um, the songs have to and there's a way where the certain kind of kicks they deliver, they kind of rely on running. There's something thrashy about it. You just want to hear that one riff six times, eight <laughs> times, right? Um, it, it's very thrashy in a lot of ways. This doesn't have that thrashiness at all. It's way more just dedicated to tram. Um, and it's, uh, and you know, there are none of the vestigial emperorisms in the sort of stompy power chord stuff, except on a couple tracks, these couple tracks. But um, and um, and it is much. It's like he keeps that rigor of every single riff counts, no song without the riffs. Every single, you know, harmonization matters. He keeps that, but then there's all of this musiciany stuff being done to it that makes it so much more the plane is more smoothly flowing but the music is just like you know what i mean by severity just very clearly demarked crushing chords just crashing into one another yeah definitely now let's talk about Gorgoroth. <laughs> yes, so uh, so what I was going to say, you know, the role that was played by the Emperor style on SWM is now being played by a certain kind of Gorgoroth riff. So that is the devil is calling from the end of Under the Sign of Hell, <laughs> um, which is a song very near and dear to my heart. 
and a song I think a lot of people forget about because it sounds like a quote throwaway Bathory tribute at the end of the record um, which it is not um, that song is patterned on For All Those Who Died uh, from uh, Bloodfire Death um, but that track is about bashing power chords right that's one of the original stomp tracks Werewolf's version you can tell is not referencing the Bathory it's referencing Gorgoroth's because what both of them do is they take that stomp and they turn it into this like this they subdivide everything into like everything goes into like lines of streams of six eighth notes you know and it's like you're sort of all it's this simultaneous legato and staccato in the plane it's like very nimble plucking um and when Gorgoroth starts emphasizing accenting that more it makes the song really heavy you can hear he gets that and he also gets that the song is colored with this more noble melody you're getting for all those who died more sort of uh uh more more of a dorian scale thing um the bathroom is almost bluesy um and so you know when that tremor if starts rolling in and nocturnal cries you start getting some of that majesty you know yeah and it also used the uh first four notes to the uh main riff of uh i am the black wizards that yeah it's a, it, there's there's all kinds of little references across this record. No, oh, that was a good. That's a good catch. Um, so uh, let's for, listen to Gorgoroth. Yeah, let's listen to the Gorgoroth. <laughs> kept listening i i forgot about that song (laughs) isn't it beautiful well yeah it's i always you know because i never listen to under the sign of hell Mm -hmm. i always forget just how much of antichrist is in it the these sort of elaborate melodic ideas that are kind of like slowed down and constantly reframed within themselves 
you know, it's it's so hard, it's so easy, excuse me, to reduce under the sign of hell to just, you know, fucking revelation of doom, you know, and oh. just really heavy, brutal shit. You forget all the, the texture within it. Yeah, no, that's true. I think, like, Revelation of Doom is supposed to be a... It's basically, like, hazing. <laughs> it's a barrier to entry. They actually crank the drums higher on that track. Oh, yeah, it's, it's legendary for just yeah. how brutal the snare is there. The, the riff is actually, I think, kind of deliberately boring. Even yeah. by 94, that's, like, a cliche riff. Like, Niflheim were writing the same riff better at the time, <laughs> right? Um uh but it's a it's just basically like if if you are a false don't entry yeah, right? yeah um and the, the there's a total there's like a creator undertone throughout the rest of the record especially towards the back end but like yeah you should totally revisit it because like it's um especially like the first five tracks have just glorious melodies in them. There may be a little bit less of the sliding chord thing that influences the fins and a little more on these sort of like spiraling lead arpeggios, but they're like Krieg or uh, Prophet and Zuppenbarin or whatever are just glorious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and this has that. It's like you, the coolest thing when, the, when, when it really like digs in on the chorus, right? The cool thing is they... On the one hand, right, it's just like it's this restrained legato staccato sort of attack on the right, and then when it like lights, when you get that Bathory stomp, he they bring out the greasy bluesiness in that third in that minor third, and then all the turnarounds in that are like claw fist dorian scale noble viking warrior things it's um it's like there's like there's like riffs within riffs in that one sequence yeah no it's it's one of those things that it launches a thousand bands as i've said yeah really yeah uh yeah an awesome song also just a uh, sort of um uh um you know edifying lyrics about the importance of loyalty to Satan and the consequences of treason. <laughs> um, uh, also some really good YouTube comments under this one. Um, somebody comments, uh, let's see, you know, we always gotta highlight the comments section. Someone, uh, someone comments, Tom Guerrero says 201, when he says, why does that pump me so much? It's such an evil <laughs> snarl. And uh, and someone uh, someone writes uh, at the end. Someone named Fenrir Rising comments, "Weakness is reviled." <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ! All right, yeah. All right, let me do mine. Let me do my pairing. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, Helvetten Valtaistuen. Um, so this is one of the boringer tracks on the record um, that I really like. Mm -hmm. uh, people who know the show know when I talk about boring black metal, I'm talking about something specific. Um, mm -hmm. But this uh, this track in particular reaches a little bit further back, all the way to Pentagram, mm -hmm. uh, back in '94. 
Um, and this can scan a couple different ways, just because Pentagram itself is so minimal. But there's a couple songs this can sound like. Um, but think about the really kind of like necro shit on Pentagram. Let's listen to the beginning of this and then we'll get into what I think it relates to. You get that you get that little like true first three records Bathory digression at the end there but ultimately this is extremely similar to a couple tracks off of pentagram by gorgoroth um now obviously this is a this is an excellent song because anything that sounds like pentagram is good because pentagram <laughs> is an ideal black metal record um but uh this could be a couple, depending on how you scan it. Uh, but the thing I think that it's closest to off that record is a track called Drummer Om Dodd. Um, sort of the... Uh, I don't know. Well, as soon as you hear it, I think you'll start cackling. <laughs> because uh, Dude, you're... listening to that sample, I was just standing up in front of the computer just, like, moshing. <laughs> Well, I was doing I, I was doing a doing a two step man. Well, think about that opening riff and then mm-hmm. listen to this. <laughs> Yeah. 
don't know. I think a lot of the stuff we review on this show that sounds more Norwegian sounds more like this than Dark Throne. Yeah, um, no, that's true. Um, um, so, you, the, yeah. So clearly, oh, these are clearly these are the same song. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Are we are we doing the show again? I just kept listening to it. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, we can we can talk. I can I can do whatever I want with the magic of technology. So. <laughs> But so so basically, um, uh, what you're hearing there. So same rhythmic idea, melody slightly different. The melody itself sounds more like a big gravel Cessnaut, which is the opening track of this album. I was comparing them earlier when I was setting up my notes. So it's basically take the rhythmic idea of drummer Om Dodd, combine it with the melodic idea of the gravel says not, and you get the same thing. But even without that adjunct, you can tell it's the same idea. So when I heard this, I associated it with possessed by Satan. Oh, that's where you were going. Why was I wrong? Because Possessed by Satan, I always associate with that, like, half-blast. That Yeah, okay, no, da, fair da, enough. Da, da. And, we are know, possessed the, by Satan. Yeah, we are possessed by the moon, you know. And the, yeah. is there a half-blast in the middle of Helvetin, or not really? Not really. It no, mostly no, sticks around of, that it's a more syn- It's a more syncopated thing in the middle. Chopping. It's like a... But the first thing, I, I immediately... The rhythmic similarity you're pointing out, yeah, is absolutely there. That sort of, like, loose... Um, Sort of like a Scandinavian redneck skank. It's almost like somebody's like playing a stand-up bass. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. It's funny that you talk about uh, that it's uh, Possessed by Satan, because that's like, that's secretly the weakest track on Antichrist. No one will admit it, but... <laughs> I, I, I like it, but I get what you I mean. I like it, it's, but it's, it's like... Thro- no, it's sort of a throwaway. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, right. it's uh, fucking, um, it's it's Gorgoroth doing Dark Throne, in a sense. No, yeah, no, I, I get that rhythmically, yeah, I, I get that in the nuances, this is actually way closer to those other tracks. I just don't know the record as well as you, which is why it's good that you picked this one. Oh, yeah, no, um, well, it's, I mean, uh, the, the first three Gorgoroth records are all the same thing. In a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They emphasize different ideas, but yeah, they are all essentially the same thing. You know, under the sign of hell, it has a more distinct idea of what it is to be raw and to be extreme. Antichrist is then kind of experimenting with melodic ideas, you know. You, the melodic stuff on Antichrist gets developed more on Under the Sign. That's why we need to listen to it again. Like, un, Under the Sign is, like, grandiose and cathedrally. Um, it just also is super raw. I, I think my thing with Antichrist is just, like, I, I love the... Um, those first two records in particular uh, by Gorgoroth, Pentagram and Antichrist, sound like they are recorded in a void. You know, there's, like, production doesn't really come into it. It's like they're just playing their instruments in space. You can hear that that's really influential for the Finns in terms of this, like, in terms of what I was saying about even, like, the deliberate rigidity of the early Satanic Warmaster. Oh, yeah. The just the riffs thing. Yeah, oh, early Gorgoroth is incredibly rigid. Like, there's, everything is four times in early Gorgoroth. 
but it's just Infernus is such a an ingenious riff writer yeah. that it doesn't matter, you know. Although also, yeah, although ironically also it has this incredibly subtle pocket groove like in that last sample you just played. <laughs> oh yeah, no, like yeah. early Gorgoroth is groovy as hell. That's a, that's the yeah, thing. But it's structurally, like, those but structurally those first two records, especially Pentag- Pentagram, are like yes, here is the guitar tone, here are the here are the riffs. Yeah, it's like it, it, it's interesting because the first couple Gorgoroth records, it's like there's there's no aggregate quality to it. You know, it's like it, I think I've said this on the show before, but it, they are like records where you could just read the sheet music and that is it. You know. It's mm-hmm. lack of personality becomes its personality. Yeah, it's very cold. You know, oh yeah, it's that's a, one way. Very remote. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's not about um, it's not about trying harder to convey the satanic essence. It it's there in the notes. Whether you hear them, whether you read them, really doesn't matter. It exists. Yeah. I, I like what you said. Read that thing you said at the end of the notes. That was I really liked that. Oh, uh, just the idea of uh that song, uh Helvetin uh Val or uh drummer on Dodd is like you hear rhythms and riffs like that that are kind of, you know, blues scale derived and they've got that kind of rock and roll feel. And you're primed to think of that as this like greasy, groovy rock and roll stuff, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, fine. But you're also primed to think of that just because of other things you've heard, mm-hmm. you know. And yep. the cool thing about early Gorgoroth is that it uses some of those techniques and it finds this like pagan essence within it, mm-hmm. you know. Because so that rhythm can be like swaggering into the bar with your leather jacket. And it can also just be chopping wood. Ah! 